sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by the Reverend Douglas Cornelius. It is indeed good to be in worship together. Let's turn our attention now to our scripture for the morning. This is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 13, beginning with verse 31. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Do you remember your first car? The first car you ever bought, you ever owned. I'm not talking about driving around the family car. I'm talking about your first car. It was yours. That memory may bring a smile to your face, perhaps because you look back on it fondly, like it was a companion on some great road trips or important moments in your life, like a first date or a prom or, or a night out with your best friends. Or maybe it brings a smile to your face because it was kind of a piece of junk, a lot of us couldn't afford great cars on our high school jobs, so we got what we could afford. And maybe when we think of that old junker, we roll our eyes and we laugh and say, thank the Lord that those days are behind me. Well, I remember my first car, and this was it. A 1974 Dodge Dart custom. It was my grandfather's car, and he had passed away when I was about five years old, and he left it to me for when I could come of age and drive. So he bought it in the mid-70s, he passed away in the mid-80s, and I wasn't ready to drive until the mid-90s, so it sat around for about 10 years, barely driven, just waiting for me. And that car brings a smile to my face. Now, that's not my actual car. That's an image I found on Google. But let me tell you, that was it. The same colors, the same interior, every single aspect of that picture, that is exact. It's like I'm looking at my exact car from high school. It's like I'm 15 years old again, getting ready to get behind the wheel of my car. 
The only picture I have of my actual car from high school is buried in some photo album somewhere, but it's me on my first day driving it, leaning on the hood with my best buddy, and we're in front of a gas station filling her up for the first time. And the only, better, the only thing better than seeing me as an awkward teenager trying to look cool leaning on the hood of this car is that you look up at the top of the photo and gas was 99 cents a gallon. Yeah, that was a little while ago. But thinking of that car brings a smile to my face, probably in part because it was my grandfather's car and then it was mine. So it was like I got to drive around a little piece of him everywhere I went. I also smile, well, because you know the old phrase, they don't make them like they used to? This car is the perfect example of that. I mean, this is the safest vehicle that a teenager could ever drive because it was one part automobile and one part military grade tank. I'm not kidding. I mean, if I had gotten an accident with a dump truck or a bus, I would have worried about the safety of the passengers in the other vehicle, not me. This thing was indestructible. And they don't make them like that anymore. Now you shut your door too hard and a mirror falls off somewhere. Or if your car's computer gets one little error on it, forget driving anywhere. You gotta find a dealership. It never broke down. It never needed repairs. They, they don't make them like they used to. It also had bench seats. Are you old enough to remember these? Bench seats in cars. So there wasn't two bucket seats with, with a console or a compartment in between you and the passenger who was way over there. There was a bench seat, a single long seat that stretched all the way from the driver's side all the way over to the passenger side. And that meant if I was out on a date, I could look over at my date and I could say, hey, darling, slide on over a little closer. <laughs> Very romantic. And that would have been awesome if any girl in my high school had actually wanted to go out with me. <laughs> I already told you my teenage years were awkward, okay? Well, bench seats are mostly gone now. They don't make them like they used to. And by the way, I took notes on those of you smiling and blushing a little bit about the bench seats. You had those dates too, all right? You're busted. You were cooler teenagers than me, I guess. But if I'm honest, it wasn't all glorious with that car. You had to put the pedal almost to the mat just to accelerate out of a stoplight. And the other cars behind you were still upset that you were accelerating too slowly. I don't even know if the speedometer went up to 100 miles per hour, but if it did, the car had no interest in getting anywhere near that number, ever. It started shaking and convulsing if I even took it above 60. And while the bench seats may have sounded great for a date, they honestly weren't incredibly comfortable. They didn't harness you in very well, so if you took a turn, especially a little quickly, you started to kind of lean and slide down the seat a little bit. And it was a loud car, and not in a good way, like a Mustang or something, it was just loud. In the winter, you had to warm it up for a good 20 minutes in the morning if you ever hoped to get wherever you were going. 
There were no power locks, no fobs to unlock your car before you got there or pop the trunk. There were no power windows, which mean if somebody was over on that side of the car, outside the car, and they wanted to talk to you, you had to go, come around, come around. I can't lean across this bench seat and roll down that window to talk to you. Come around the car. It didn't have a tape deck, much less a CD player like a lot of my friends' new cars. It was just AM, FM, and it probably only got about two stations of those. And needless to say, it was not equipped with airbags or anti-lock brakes. No, pretty much every car I've owned since has been more comfortable, better and smoother driving, faster, easier, more fun, and probably, in the end, safer, too. Every car I've had since has been a better car. But I still love that car. I do. And hey, you got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. Maybe you look back at your first car, your first home, your first job, and you think, geez, everything I've done since then has been so much better, so much bigger, so much grander. But you got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. And we started there. In the two parables of Jesus that we read this morning, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he uses images or similes of a mustard seed and some yeast. And at first glance, these are rather strange images to use for the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of God. Because when we think of the kingdom of God, we think of something vast and expansive, something all-encompassing and total in its power and its victory and its peace and its goodness. But Jesus uses these two images of things that are actually quite small, quite seemingly insignificant. A mustard seed something very small that grows into a shrub and tree, some yeast, something that you just put a very small pinch of into the dough. It's a, it's a lesser ingredient in terms of quantity, but perhaps greater than any other ingredient in its importance to what it's going to do to produce that warm, delicious bread. Now, many of you know we are in the second week of our stewardship series leading up to next week, which is Commitment Sunday. I mentioned that earlier. And when you heard me read this text, you probably thought, I think the pastor forgot that we're doing stewardship right now. This is not a stewardship text. Or maybe you didn't even give me that much credit. Maybe you just said, oh my gosh, we just hired a guy who doesn't know how to preach a stewardship sermon. This is not good. Too late for regrets, people. I'm here. (laughs) No, in all seriousness, I think this is a stewardship text. I think it is. Now, I know there's no mention of money. 
There's no warning of Jesus about the dangers of material goods or making idols of worldly possessions or storing up earthly treasures. I mean, Jesus talks about money more than any other subject. Surely, preacher, you could have picked any one of the dozens of texts that have to do with money for our stewardship sermon. But I think this is a stewardship text. I think it is. And here's why. Follow me. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, like a bit of yeast. Why? Because it's small? Not really. The kingdom of heaven isn't necessarily small. So let's ask a different question than why. Let's ask, what is the kingdom of heaven for in Jesus' parables this morning? Think about it, the mustard seed, the yeast. What are they for in Jesus' teaching? It's right there in the text. The mustard seed grows into something large so that the birds can take nest in its branches, take shelter, take rest. The yeast is in the dough so that the dough can rise up, can become transformed into something delicious that can be shared at table with family and friends and even strangers. The small things are made into something larger, something greater for the purpose of someone or something else. The, most, the mustard seed doesn't multiply a thousand times over in size for the sake of the seed, but for the birds. The yeast doesn't mix with the dough and cause it to rise for the benefit of the yeast, but so that the dough can be transformed into something wonderful, like fresh baked bread. And we don't give to this church for the church. We don't give for us. Another preacher I know once said, uh, the church is one of the only organizations in the world that doesn't exist for the benefit of its own members. Oh, sure, we benefit in some way. I mean, we have great worship services. We have small groups. We have amazing music every Sunday morning. If you're a young family, we have wonderful youth activities for your teens, great programs for your children. We have awesome fellowship and good eating at just about every event we have. And we have a community of brothers and sisters that will support you in the most difficult seasons of your life. We do benefit some, but we don't give for that reason, not here. These aren't some dues, like at a country club where we pay them and we get member privileges. There are clubs like that around. We don't need to be another one. There are other charitable organizations around, great groups doing wonderful things outside the scope of the church, and we, we could give our money there. So why do we give to church? Well, I think it's because we have something that the country clubs and the secular nonprofit organizations don't. See, we have the Holy Spirit at work in our midst. 
And according to Jesus' parables, the Spirit is the great multiplier. We have the promise of Jesus that the Holy Spirit can, can take what we have and make it larger than we could ever imagine, like a tiny seed growing into a tree. We have the promise of Jesus that the Holy Spirit can take what we give and use it to transform our world like some yeast kneaded into some dough. And so if somebody came to me and said, hey, preacher, I got one dollar. I got one dollar. I need to give it somewhere. I just got one dollar to give. I would say, give it to us. Give it to us. And I don't say that because they're going to get the most benefit back from that dollar spent. No, there are other memberships in town that will give them more for their dollar. I wouldn't say give us that dollar because we are going to spend it or invest it in the absolute wisest way. No, I think we are wise and we are responsible with your gifts. But there are investment firms and there are other nonprofit organizations that all do a great job with wise ways to spend your money. And I wouldn't say, give me your dollar, give our church your dollar, because we're greedy here, and we need that extra dollar. We don't just want it for us. We've already said that's not why we give here. We've already said that the reason we give is so that the birds can get some shelter and some rest in our ministries so that our family members and the strangers out in the community that need food and need warmth and need something good in their lives can, can get some of what they need from the yeast that we need into the dough. It's for all the reasons that we celebrated last night at the mission dinner to serve our neighbors and our world. It's about ending relational poverty. It's not about us. It's about our neighbors, but I would tell that person with the single dollar to give to spend it here, to give it to a church, not because of what I can do with it, but because of what the Holy Spirit will do with it, because of what God will do with it, because the Spirit can take that seed and make a mighty tree. It can take a pinch of yeast and make a meal. It can take the gift that you give us here, large or small as it may be, and the Spirit can and will take that gift and make a little bit of heaven out of it. It will make it so much more than we could on our own. It will take our gifts and it will build a kingdom. In the letter I sent out to the congregation, I remarked that God is up to something here, and I believe that. With everything in me, I believe I was called to this church for a reason and at a particular time, and I think that this church is ready for something to happen, but it's going to take our investment. That's just the reality. That is what it takes. It will require all of us planting a little seed, kneading a little yeast into the dough, doing our part in all of this. But if we do, if we do, we'll get to watch God build nothing less than the kingdom of heaven in our midst, right here amongst us. 
So will you be a part of it? Will you come back next week with your estimated giving and say, here is my gift, here is my seed, here is my yeast. Take it, Lord. Take it and multiply it. Take it and grow it. Take it and do things that I could never imagine. Because the Spirit is ready to move in this place. I believe it. Ready to grow, ready to rise up, ready to build a kingdom. But that tree, that tree and that bread and that little bit of heaven, it's got to start somewhere. It's got to start somewhere. I hope next week it'll start with each one of us. Amen.